0: Well, the title of this morning's sermon is He Restores My Soul. He Restores My Soul. And as most of you know by now, if you've been out in the last few weeks or the last several weeks anyway, you know that we began this study on kind of a clause-by-clause look at Psalm 23. And it's been a very encouraging study already this far, and we're only just getting into the first part of the third verse here. It's a six-verse psalm. Many of you know it by heart in fact I've read in different places that this is the best known psalm of all of the psalms and it might be the best known passage in all of the Bible second perhaps only to John three sixteen. and so as you think about this psalm oftentimes if you've read it a number of times if you've memorized it if you've meditated on it for any period of time you might think I already know this psalm there's nothing left to be mine from this pit uh, keep digging all you want, I've already mined all the gold from it, and certainly that's not true. We can have that perspective at times that we've already been We've already gotten all the good out of a passage that we can, but the reality is that that's never true with God's word, is that each time we come back to it, God has an intention of communicating himself and revealing himself to us through his word, and if he's interested in revealing himself to us through his word and we come to his word with an attitude that says, I want to know you more, then it's automatically guaranteed that we'll get more out of a passage because God's purpose and his will aligns with ours and God's will is never going to be thwarted in those circumstances. So we began this psalm anew. I had never taught through it or studied it in great detail, so it was a great opportunity for me to do that. After hearing this taught at all of the different camps, we taught through it at the senior high camp, the middle camp, and the youngest camp. And so then as we began looking at it as a church family, we started a course with verse 1, and we observed that, we're, that verse 1 acts as the summary statement for Psalm 23. So if you're going to take nothing away from Psalm 23 other than this, this would be a, a good nugget to take with you, that Psalm 23 1 is effectively a summary of what is, the Lord is trying to communicate through King David here in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And our observation was, because the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. And it's a, it's a reminder to the people of faith that their Father in heaven, that God has their interest in mind, their best interest in mind, that he loves them desperately, that he's intensely interested in them, that he wants to live life with them in a way that is extremely intimate. And because of that... He is going to provide not just some of what the sheep need, but everything that the sheep need, such that the man of faith, trusting his God, could conclude with a sense of enthusiasm and a sense of confidence I lack nothing. Well, not because I would otherwise lack nothing, but I lack nothing because the Lord is my shepherd. And we then observe that shepherds provide everything that sheep need, or good shepherds do anyway. And just as a good shepherd would do that for animal sheep, the Lord undertakes to meet every need that you have too as his child. Of course, we observe that the primary focus is on your spiritual needs. And so we looked at his past provision for those needs in terms of his sacrifice on Calvary. We'll touch on that again today. We've talked a little bit about his future provision for every need of the sheep, but the focus of this psalm is on this personal relationship and personal walk of faith that David had with the Lord as he talks about the Lord in a very personal way with these personal pronouns. And David describes the way that in this life, through this walk of faith, during this moment-by-moment life that a, a one of faith is leaving, living, how God is going to provide for each and every specific need that that individual would have and of course he's making this personal to himself but as you read it i hope you're making it personal to yourself and so we noted that following first verse one david uses the remainder here of psalm 23 to elaborate further about exactly what the lord's complete care entails what makes up god's complete care and so we could have left it well enough alone with verse 1, but each of these other phrases brings out another nuance of those specific examples of God's complete care for his children. So thus far we've looked at, starting in verse 2, if you don't have your Bibles open to Psalm 23, do that. We'll, we'll read through it here. But the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then we observed the first clause here of specifics. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. And we noted that that's a talking about how God makes it possible to rest. And in addition to rest, the green pastures certainly are nourishing in the sense that a food source is readily available there as he provides that nutrition that we need to fuel and feed our souls. But the main focus was not actually that. The focus was on he makes it possible for me to lie down and rest. Now how do I do that? By entering into his rest as a faith response to recognizing just how great my God is and just how complete His provision is for me and just how much He loves me. And as I reflect on those three things, I can rest. I can rest despite whatever else might be going on around me because my God is bigger than whatever my trial is at the moment. So then the next clause we observed in the second half of verse 2 was, He leads me... Beside the still waters. And we looked at a number of different ways that God leads us. We talked about how he leads through his word. The revelation that he's made to us in the word of God, the Bible. That that's one of the ways that God leads. He leads through the direction of his spirit working inside of us to direct our paths. And he leads through the influence of others that he puts in our lives. And we're going to see the parallel to that here when we get to this next part here. He restores my soul. So he leads me beside the still waters. We know that he doesn't make me drink. You lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. He makes, he makes that provision available to me when I'm willing to depend on him and trust in him and drink the water. Then I find that I'm refreshed in a way that I otherwise never could be. You know, it'll never do you any good to have God make it possible for you to rest in a green pasture, to lead you beside still water, But no, he doesn't lead you into it per se. He doesn't jam your head down under the water and plug your nose and make you drink. He just makes it possible. Now how sad would it be for God to continuously be seeking to do that and doing that in your life and for you not to avail yourself of the provision that God makes for you. So then we get to the next provision of God that's very specific. He restores my soul. Now let's read through the rest of the psalm so we keep familiarizing ourselves with it, but that's what we're going to talk about today. He restores my soul. But what else does he do? He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why is that? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil my cup runs over, it's overflowing. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. As we backtrack to verse 3a, he restores my soul. Let's dig into that a little bit deeper here this morning and look at it with some detail that we would otherwise maybe miss. So we've already noted this but we have this very personal interaction here we call some have referred to this as the he and me psalm as he makes me he leads me he restores and you could say me we'll see that actually my soul is actually could be translated me he restores me he leads me and so you have this he and me focus as God is the one providing for you individually now it could say he makes it possible for anyone who is a believer to lie down in green pastures but that wouldn't have quite the same impact as he makes it possible for me to rest. And think about that as we're going through this. It will do you no good to have this general sense of what God provides for his children without seeing it from the perspective of how he's wanting to meet your individual, specific personal needs and how he's wanting to go through life with you and to be walking beside you and living inside of you. And as he's doing that, as he's providing for you, yeah, he may be providing for your husband too, but who cares? I joke. Of course, it's great that God's providing for the others and one another's in our lives, those that are close to it. Isn't it neat to see him do that? Isn't it neat to see him work? Isn't it encouraging to see him do that? But it's far less impactful than that personal experience of saying, I'm seeing him working in my life. So he is a continued reference to the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. So that's God's personal name. We said Yahweh. So each time we say he here, we're really referring to God's personal name, Yahweh. So Yahweh makes me to lie down in green pastures. Yahweh leads me beside the still waters. God's personal name. Now, we didn't really, I didn't grow up using that word a lot because the King James Version translates Well, the New King James translates it Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And so as you think of Jehovah or Lord, some of these other translations for what that word Yahweh actually is, uh, it's not something we're familiar with, but it's kind of neat when you think about that's God's personal name. I can't even tell you I'm saying that right, so don't necessarily take that to the bank. Maybe go look that up on Google, but uh, Yahweh. And you think about, That's my God's name. He knows me by name. He knows every head on my head, hair on my head. He knows every head on my head. That's kind of (laughs) weird. He knows all of the different heads I have on my head. (laughs) It's an alien thing. He knows every hair on your head. He knows absolutely everything that you're going through. There's nothing that has befallen you that God is unaware of. As an aside, there's nothing that's befallen you that's unique to you either. Just remember that, that very often there's a lot of people who have gone through very similar things. And we were looking at that even in our Bible study on Friday morning, that God allows us to receive his comfort in trials so that we can comfort others with the same comfort that we had from him. We have an ability to comfort others that are going through similar things in a relatable way that we are incapable of if we haven't exactly had that experience now does that mean that we can't provide god's comfort or come along somebody and help lift them up or encourage them when they're going through a hard thing even if we haven't gone through it ourselves doesn't mean that at all of course god wants to use you in those circumstances too but ask yourself have you been more effective at communicating comfort or encouragement to somebody if they know and you know that you've gone through something very very similar and i would submit that it makes you Especially qualified. There's a sense of authenticity there where you have gone through it and they know that you've gone through it. Now, it's not so that you can wallow in that shared misery that you may have experienced. It's so that they can see that God was big enough to carry you through that. And if they see that God was big enough to carry you through that and you've been through something very relatable or similar, then naturally they could conclude that God is big enough to carry them through that. And it's extremely ex- encouraging to think of things from that perspective. But so we have this personal God. That's the point there with he. He is referring to a personal God with a personal name. And what does he do? So he's been doing a number of things, but the action here is, so he makes it possible for me to lie down. He leads. Now he's going to restore. He restores. And this is yet another specific example of the complete provision of God for man. Now, as you're looking at this, this is something I think that's worth noting. The shepherd is focused on addressing the needs of every sheep. The shepherd is focused on addressing every need of every sheep. Now, as you think about this, not every need of every sheep is the same at every time. But every sheep is needy. And so not every one of these specific clauses, though they apply to you directly all of the time, God's provision for rest is always available. God's direction for your life always available. God's desire to restore you always available. Sometimes you're walking in intimate fellowship with the Lord. You're walking by faith. You're enjoying the Lord. You're walking as directed by the Spirit of God, walking by means of the Spirit of God. So in that moment, you're not... Needing God's restoration on a practical level right that moment, but it's always available. But you know what? Another sheep might be needing that provision at that very moment. You maybe just took a drink, so you've been refreshed temporarily in that moment. And so that's not the specific need that you have at that time, but God is so big that He can factor in that all sheep need all of these things at some time, and every sheep when they're combined together, is needing all of these things. Some sheep is needing to appropriate one of these promises at, all of the time. So as a church family, we are all taking in or appropriating or having a need for every one of these provisions of God right this morning. No, it's not like you personally may say, uh, that's not a thing that is especially jumping out at me. Well, well, not this morning, but how about this afternoon when you're doing your own thing again? No, you wouldn't do that when I'm doing my own thing again. You guys won't be doing that. Well, there's that need for that periodic restoration that we'll get to here in a second. So all sheep are needy. And I just thought, I want to remind us of that. All sheep are needy. They don't have the same needs, though, at the same exact time. But God is so big that he makes them all available. Now, every provision outlined by David, it applies to every believer at some point in that believer's life. So when we think about he restores, this is a definition for restores. I'm not saying it's complete. This is actually interesting how, how many different ways there are of looking at this. And we'll, we'll talk about what I think David's focus was on in using this word here this morning. But it means to revive, to reinstate. So if you have, somebody has a possession, they lose it, you find it, you restore it to their possession, so you reinstate it to them, you give it back to them, you return it to its original location. So renew, to restore involves renewing, invigorate or bring back to an original existence, use, function or position. It's almost like a reset, to reset to the way things should be or were before, So there's a lot there. There's a lot there. Some also bring out the idea of renovation. But to me, renovation involves making something different than it was. But sometimes renovation is just to bring it back to the same state it was. Refresh. So I think it's more an idea of refreshing, renewing, reinstating, reviving. Bringing some life back to something that's getting dull and dead. So he restores... My soul, there's a way of defining it. Now, as with the rest of God's provisions, he makes restoration available, but he does not force it on you. So we talked about that at length. I'm not going to go into that as much here this morning. He restores my soul, but he makes restoration possible. God doesn't force those that are estranged from him to be restored to him. He doesn't do it against their will. There has to be a positive volitional response where one sees that provision being made available to them and they make a decision to appropriate by faith or take advantage of as a practical matter that, in this instance, restoration that God is providing. You must choose to appropriate it though. Now, this came to my mind as I was thinking about that or looking at my notes. You will never seek to appropriate god 's restoration unless you see a need for restoration, like with many of God as with many of god 's provisions the specific applications of his provisions here that we 're going through God his faithfulness never changes, his character never changes, his love for you, his compassion for you it fails not, so that never changes, and god 's desire to Provide everything necessary for you to thrive spiritually never is altered. It never wavers in the slightest. So that remains always and permanently available all of the time. But if you don't see that you need the provision that God is making available and you don't appropriate that, you'll never take advantage of it. So you're never going to take advantage of or appropriate it if you don't think you need it. Have you ever... Seen somebody who looks like they have a desperate need for a drink of water? I see that with my <laughs> children sometimes. They get so busy with their playing, right? Have you ever ha- seen kids do this? They get so busy with their playing that they do one of two things. When they're real little, they forget to go bathroom, right? Show of hands, you've been there. No, I'm not saying you personally. You saw that with your kids. <laughs> I, I remember, and my poor kids, I was told when I became a, a pastor, don't use your kids, <laughs> your kids in too many illustrations. Actually, some of Tom's kids told me that. Past, pastor Tom Radke is here. I remember that, you know, they'd be playing so hard, and then, it was, you know, they wet themselves. You would say, why didn't you go to the, to the bathroom? I was just having so much fun. (laughs) And you're just like, you know what? I can kind of understand that, you know? But the other thing they forget to do when they get to play too hard is they forget to drink water. They get extremely dehydrated. And all of a sudden, you see that they have a desperate need for some water. Now, is the issue usually that there hasn't been any water available? No. Usually there's been plenty of water available. Sometimes the issue is they wanted pop and they didn't want water. That's the problem with they get the taste for that sweet nectar. All of a sudden they don't want that water anymore. But they need the water and the water is generally available. Parents are trying to peddle water, push water on their kids all the time. Man, there's nothing I find around here more than kids' water bottles left behind. That and their Bibles left out on the playground. Parents, just as a public service announcement... Run through that playground on your way home. Because generally speaking, there's anywhere between two to ten Bibles left out there every Sunday. And, which is no big deal unless I forget to search for them and then it rains. And some of your kids have a real attachment to their Bibles. I mean, not enough to not leave them behind, but... (laughs) But when they get all ruined with the rain, they're actually sad about it in any event. How did we get there? You have to realize that you have a need right so the provision is available but if you have too much pride to see that you need restoration or you think you're doing really well in your spiritual life and god is just knocking on you so to speak he's he's shouting at you from a distance sometimes however he's trying to get your attention and he's saying you're not okay uh, you need the restoration that i can provide so that we can come back into This place of intimacy that I desire to have with you, but you'll never do that if pride gets in the way, if self-deceit gets in the way. You know, so those are the two things that most often stop us from appropriating the provision that God has for us is we're too proud to see that we need it or we're self-deceived or sometimes we're deceived by the world around us, by satanic influence. But I would say sometimes we are quick to blame that and that does happen. But I would say just as often, it's our self-deception that's the real problem, that we've determined that things are different or better than they are. We always have a more spirit, a more positive evaluation of our spiritual well-being than we ought to have, because the truth of the matter is very, very often anyway, that God wants to do more work in us. He wants to draw us nearer to him. Uh, we are not as well off as we think and God wants to keep making changes in any event he restores so that's the main action we're talking about here but my and I'll just touch on this briefly here because we've been seeing this the personal nature again of this psalm God his personal name Yahweh he restores my soul and we look at that word, my, it's another reference to David's personal, intimate, and relational view of God. And I would say this, this is something that people really struggle with. Now you say, I don't, I don't struggle with this. The number one thing that I think is holding many people back is that we cannot see or we do not see God for who he really is and if we don't see him as a personal god as an intimate as an intimate god who's interested in us who wants to relate to us personally if we keep god in the abstract then we never have that closeness that god wants to have us with us on a personal intimate level and so if we don't start to see god as my father our father who art in heaven now i know for many of you that's a trigger that's a triggering passage (laughs) and for good reason but it's not the fault of the prayer it's the fault of what human beings did with that prayer but as jesus provides an example to his disciples or followers of how to pray he speaks to god as he says my father or our father because he's including them they're there my god my god why have you forsaken me if it's possible, Father, Father, he, he has this relationship even within the Trinity, which is impossible to really wrap your mind around because on one hand, it's inseparable. In, in one part, it's undivided. It, can't, it cannot be divided in any way. But yet on the other hand, those individual functions within the Trinity are such that the Son of God would refer to God the Father as my Father. And he would say, that's the kind of relationship you ought to have with God. And that's what David is describing here is he restores my soul. And so as we've seen this, this personal faith, it focuses on God's provision for you individually. It's not about God's provision for others in this psalm. It's about David meditating and being encouraged and strengthened by his view and remembrance of just how desperately God loves him personally and just how great God's ability to provide for his every need is. So, so far in the psalm we've seen the Lord is my shepherd. He makes me to lie down. He leads me beside the still waters. And here he restores my soul, or we'll see in a second, he restores me. Are you starting to see the value of the personal rela- of a personal relationship with God? I hope you are. I hope, I hope this is helping to remind you of that. It's not a distant and far away God that we're worshiping. It's a personal and intimate God who wants to live life with you. He wants to go to every place that you go. He lives inside of you through his spirit. He says he'll never leave you or forsake you. He wants you to include him in your thinking no matter what you're doing. He doesn't want you to leave him in the car like you leave your Bible in the car or your kids or your dog. He wants you to take him with you wherever it is that you're going. He doesn't want you to put him in boxes and say, these are the places that I include God in my life. Sunday morning from 10 o'clock until 11.30, that's God's time. And I'll put him in this tidy little box then I'll spend the rest of my time doing my own thing, leading my own life, directing my own life, thinking my own things, being influenced by everything and everything, everything and anything else except for God. But come Wednesday, perhaps, if I'm not too busy, I'll make another little box for God. Or when I eat my lunch, for a few brief seconds before I eat, I'll make a little box for God. Or in the morning, before I start the day, and I'm going to make a little bit of a box for God, a little bit of time I'll carve out for Him. Aren't I doing so great for God? Isn't he lucky to have me? I'm making so many little tidy boxes for God in my life. And he's saying, you fool. I don't want little boxes in your life. I want to live life with you. Not some of the time, all of the time. I don't want you to live, leave me behind. I don't want you to exclude me from anything that you're doing. Man, I spent so much of my time putting God in those boxes and I'm still doing it in different ways, but at least I'm aware of it now. I was so foolish, so self-deceived to think that I was walking with God, but when it really came down to it, if you're being honest, about the amount of time you're actually allowing Him to impact your thinking, to be a part of what you're doing, it's minuscule compared to the amount of time there is in a day and the amount of time there is in a life. And you talk about a wasted life, the cumulative effect of that is a bunch of wasted life. Now, do we live in regret? Is this about shame? Is this about me trying to make you feel guilty? No, it's about stepping forward into the irresistible future with Him. He wants us to thrive. He wanted us to experience life to the fullest. An abundant life. A life that's absolutely the top of the cup. There's water running out both sides. It's, it's full to the point where it's overflowing. That's the blessings that God has given us and that's the kind of life he wants us to experience. But we can't do that without seeing how personal he is to us and wanting to have that intimacy with him. I'm preaching to myself as much as I'm preaching to you here this morning. God wants to live life with you. He wants to live life with me. And David is giving us this really nice, intimate glimpse into what life could be like if we could see life this way. So we have that with my. He restores my. Now we look at soul. He restores my soul. The word that is translated my soul refers generally to a person or a living being. It's not not having that same focus on like your volition and your emotion and your intellect that sometimes we talk about as that's what the human soul is all about or the entire inner being I've seen in some definitions. This, this particular word is just talking about more so a person or a living being in general so this could be translated he restores me just like he leads me he makes me it's a continuation of that same theme but the, the word being used for the totality of a living being is soul here and in this specific context the emphasis is on the restoration of spiritual life or vitality Now, we talked about this definition of restoration, to revive, to reinstate, to renew, but I put to invigorate, to bring back to an original function or use. But I put revive first because I believe that is the key emphasis or the key focus of what we're talking about with restoration here. He revives me. He gives life. He breathes new life back into me. And so that's the primary emphasis there the vitality the revival of me now the good shepherd revives the believer's Spirit, life, and vitality is sort of the idea. So he or she could continue the journey toward her final home. So the psalm ends with, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David is talking about this walk of faith, this life of faith. We would say Christian living in the church age. Christian living a life of faith though. He's talking about that journey and he's speaking about this idea that at times God needs to breathe fresh life into me to restore me, to revive me so that I can continue on in that journey. Who can relate to that? That At times I just, I need God to breathe his fresh life into me, to restore me, to put me back on my feet, we'll see in a second, is one of the ideas that's being carried there but there's this journey I'm on there's a song I've been liking a lot that's on on the radio but it's called weary traveler man it describes each and every one of us at times where we're a traveler going through life and we become weary and the song ends with weary traveler you won't be weary long it's a great reminder that in this life we have the opportunity to be revived by God as we go about our Christian life as his spirit breathes fresh life into us as we get our eyes off of ourselves or our circumstances and get our focus back on him. But even if that weren't true, even if we weren't able to do that, if we wouldn't appropriate that manner of living that's available through God's power, this life is short. And our travels are short. And it's a here today, gone tomorrow kind of a situation where very Soon, we will be with him. And we'll be, we will be with him for all of eternity. And when you're talking about a timeline of eternity, you can't make a dot small enough to cover your life. So as I was visiting with, well, I don't think she'd mind me saying, but Alice Mackey in the hospital here a few days ago, you know, she, she tells me, I hope, the Lord, <laughs> I hope the Lord comes back and, and gets us and takes us. I hope that too, else. Wouldn't that be nice before I even come and visit again, if we're just with him? So he restores my soul. Now there's two types of restoration that every human being needs God to be involved in restoring. There's two types of needs. So there are two types of restoration that God provides to every human being. And thankfully, every human being has a need to be restored in two different ways. And every, and thankfully, God provides restoration in both of those areas of our lives. But the first is restoration in, a we, we would say, first tense salvation or sal, salvation from the penalty of sin, justification. So every person on the planet needs to have that first tense restoration of positional estrangement and so when we talk about the word of God the Bible talks about this predicament that mankind was born into where they were born estranged from God they weren't born near to God they were born estranged from God as a byproduct of their identification with the race of a race of sinners or the race of Adam and also as a byproduct of their own sinful choices so for by one man sin had entered into the world and death came with that sin or that separation from God. And then death had spread to all mankind because all sinned. So a sinner by birth and a sinner by choice, but that sin had interfered with or had estranged mankind from God because God, one of his many characteristics was he was completely holy. And being completely holy, he couldn't be in proximity to sin. He couldn't be tainted by sin you couldn 't mix any sin with god 's holiness, and God would and, and God be able to still remain holy and so sin separates that 's a statement that you could say about as a fixed truth from the Word of God and so there was this estrangement between God and man that had to be restored and restoration it involves being brought back to a place of peace, rest, and intimacy so we 've been talking about this idea that restoration involves being brought near to god again or being able to experience that intimacy with god again to be set back on your feet and redirected back into this life lived with him but if sin was separating mankind from god mankind couldn't live life with god unless something was done about that sin and the problem is that there's no peace of god unless there's first peace with god and so you talk about this intimacy of relationship or this peace that, or rest that God makes available to his children, you can't experience God's peace or this rest with God unless you first have peace with him. You can't experience the peace that God provides, I should say, unless you first experience peace with God. And peace cannot be experienced while you're estranged from God. If God is the source of all peace and all comfort and all rest, While mankind remained estranged from God, there could be no rest. There could be no peace. But God makes that positional reconciliation possible. He made that possible through the work of his son, Jesus. He restores the peace. In the beginning, everything was perfect. God looked at everything that he had created, and behold, it was not just good, it was very good. It was perfect. There was no taint of sin on his creation or his created being. Adam and Eve. But that changed as man rebelled against God, accepted Satan's lies instead of God's truth, exchanged the truth of God's word for a lie, and that continues to be the challenge today as Satan spews his filth and his lies, and he accepts or he, he hopes that mankind will accept them, those lies in place of God's truth. But it caused that estrangement. So what was close all of a sudden became estranged because of the taint of sin or the the consequence of sin. But God, he made a way to restore that. We're not going to touch on this a lot this morning, but here's one verse that talks about how mankind can have peace with God and how God fixed this problem through the sacrifice of his son. So therefore, having been or since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So what was the solution to man's problem? Well, if sin brought separation or death, and if the just debt that was owed for sin was death, and if God in his justice, he could not overlook sin, he could not overlook a debt that was owed, then the only alternative was The only option was that either mankind would have to pay their own debt or somebody else would have to pay that debt in their place. And so God, in his love, he didn't want any human to have to pay that debt. He said, I'm going to pay that price. I'm going to pay that debt for you by dying in your place. So he became, Jesus Christ, became sin for us who knew no sin so that we could become the righteousness of God through faith alone in him. And so God sent his only son to become the satisfying payment for our sin and Jesus the one who was innocent and spotless who John the Baptist when he first saw him referred to as behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world that Lamb that spotless Lamb that had been pictured through all those animal sacrifices for all of these years leading up to the cross that innocent Lamb had been a picture of the sacrifice or the death of an innocent in the place of the guilty and so as God through the substitution of his Son as Jesus died in the place of the guilty he was spotless he was innocent and as he shed his blood and he paid that debt that was owed he did that for you and i and this is about restoration this is about mankind who was estranged from god having a substitution come along to take their place to die in their place and to pay that debt they could never pay but yet that they all owed and so as jesus died in the place of Mankind was buried and he rose again. He didn't do it for any sin on his part or any flaw on his part. He did it because of your sin and because of my sin. And when he hung on that cross, he, didn't, he wasn't hanging there for other people. He was hanging there for you. Yes, he was hanging there for all of the sinners and all of the sin of the world. But he was hanging there specifically for you, dying for me, dying for me. There on the cross, he was dying for me. He was dying in your place. So then, how do we get in on this? How do we get a hold on of this? When we're talking about positional restoration, how can one who is estranged from God be restored to God? Well, it's through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We see that very clearly right here. And you have to know more verses to expand on how he did that. He died on a cross, he was buried, and he rose again. That's the gospel that Paul declares. He says this is the gospel, how that Christ died for our sins. The third day, according to Scripture that he was no so he died for our sins according to scripture he was buried and he rose again the third day according to scripture that's the good news of the gospel but how do we get in on this we're justified or declared to be in a right standing with a holy god on the basis of the substitutionary death of jesus christ by faith that's the only way you can get on to this what must i do to be saved We see in Acts chapter 16, verse 31, and the response, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Faith and believe are interchangeable. It means to be convinced so as to put your trust in something or someone. So the question is, do you want to be restored positionally to God? And the answer is, the only way that you're going to do that is through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on your behalf. And the Bible goes on to say, it's not of ourselves, it's a gift from God. It's not of works, lest anyone should boast. You can't add to something that was already perfect. It can't be a gift if you're working for it. It can only be a gift if it's received freely by faith. Again, being persuaded or convinced to put your trust in Jesus Christ. And friends, that is the gospel. So the peace of God can now be enjoyed by the child of God. That's how one that was positionally estranged from God can be restored to a right relationship with God. And we see Philippians 4, 7 says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. This is Paul writing to believers. Now that they have peace with God, they can experience the peace of God because they're children of God. And this is a moment-in-time restoration That has permanent results. The moment you decide to put your trust in Jesus Christ, you're now positionally restored to a place where you can experience intimate fellowship with God. You're now... That moment, sealed by his spirit, you're born into his family, and he says, I'll never let you go. And John can say, behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. You can now go through life saying, I'm God's child, and he'll never let me go. And now, on a practical level, you can experience God's peace, which we'll get to, to now, because of God's sacrifice on your behalf, and your having accepted that through faith. So the question is, have you, experienced positional restoration with God. He restores me. He restores me at a point in time so that I can be set free from the consequence of my sinfulness. Have you trusted in him? You can do that right where you sit today. The question that you ought to be asking yourself is if the gospel is that simple that God through the provision of his son did everything that was necessary to rescue me and all he asks in response return is that i would believe or accept that or be convinced to put my trust in that what's preventing me from doing that the bible says that today is the day of salvation what's what would be stopping you from doing that it's free it's available will you grab a hold of that will you accept that or take that you can do that in the quiet of your own heart you don't have to tell me about it i hope you do that'd be exciting But keep it to yourself if you want. You don't have to come forward here. You don't have to say anything or do anything. In the quiet of your heart, put your trust in Jesus Christ and what he did for you on Calvary. In that moment, you can know for sure where you will spend eternity. You will spend it with him in heaven. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We need to move on. So the second part of this, the second type of restoration, so we had positional restoration that was necessary at a point in time, but now the second type of restoration that's needed is practical restoration. Restoration from the practical estrangement that happens as a result of the ongoing effects of sin in the lives of believers. So although positional restoration is accomplished once and for all at a moment in time, practical restoration is periodically needed on a repeated basis. And I think the best picture of that that I've come across is Jesus when he's talking, he's wanting to wash his disciples' feet and he's telling them, listen, you need to have your feet washed so that filth that you pick up from walking through the the world through the world can be cleansed off of your feet and there can be that restoration or that cleaning that takes place uh, as you want to intimately relate to me and so there's a misunderstanding there by one of the disciples saying well then wash my whole body and jesus says you've already had you've already been washed one who's been washed doesn't need his whole body washed again he needs his feet washed periodically and that's the restoration that david's talking about here so I couldn't I could not talk to you about positional restoration because you can't even be a sheep in God's pasture if you don't understand that you need to be restored at a point in time from that estrangement that you have from God as a result of being born into a race of sinners and sinning yourself. But this is really the focus of this verse here, is this restoration on a periodic level of this restoration relationship this intimate fellowship with god on a day-to-day practical kind of a basis so then the question becomes why do sheep and that's just a metaphor for people why do people need repeated restoration and one of the there's a few reasons and there's a lot more you could get into but because sheep stray that's one of them because sheep stray and because sheep wander off and do their own thing, they need to be restored back into the intimate presence of the shepherd. They need to be tracked down. And why is that such a danger to them when they stray? Because they're straying from a place of safety to a place of danger. When you leave God behind, when you even leave behind some of the mechanisms that he's put in your life for your, for your own well-being, which is fellowship with other believers, uh, being fed in a local church being a part of a local church when you leave some of those protections behind being renewed by his word communicating to him through prayer when you leave some of that behind you're exposing yourself to danger you don't recognize it but when you wander from the place of safety you're no longer safe you're now more vulnerable to predators you're unable to care for yourself you think I can do this I don't don't need anyone to care for me You can't care for yourself. Remember the last time that you left behind the green pastures that God made available for you to rest in? When you finally came to your senses, you found out where were you? In a lush tropical environment? In a barren wasteland, right? That's where you led yourself to. Just think back to your own history and say, no, wandering away from the shepherd doesn't bring me to a better place. It brings me to a barren wasteland where there's no nourishment at all. I ought to abide and remain in Him, connected to Him. So He won't be able to provide that food, that water, that grooming that is necessary. You need God to care for your every need brush your hair, make sure you take a bath. I tell you that's too many popsicles. You need that leading in your life that direction in your life now with sheep I thought this was hilarious when sheep wander off they get into real problems they become very very vulnerable and if they wander off for long enough it's a life and death situation I want to introduce you to a guy named Chris Chris wandered off for six years sheep can't groom themselves they can't shear themselves So every day that went by, he became a little bit closer to death because he added a little bit more weight. And as he stayed apart from the shepherd and the shepherd wasn't there to care for him, he added a little bit more weight he was carrying, a little bit more burden he was carrying, a little bit more weight, a little bit more burden. This is the biggest sheep that's ever been recorded in terms of he had ninety five pounds of of wool on him he set the new record he 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 took that record from Ben. Ben was from New Zealand. Chris is from Australia, so they're proud folk now when it comes to sheep. Ben had just eked out Shrek. These two were in the sixty five pound range. All of them were gone for roughly six years. I know some of you are saying, if you spend a little bit more time researching your message, and a little bit less time on... Sheep don't do well when they wander off. That's the point. And it's funny, but all of these sheep were on their last gasps of life when they were found. And the stories are kind of remarkable of how they ended up getting rescued but they weren't healthier for it. When they wandered away from the shepherd, it, life wasn't better. They just kept adding more and more weight, getting more and more bogged down, being more and more vulnerable. If they had fallen over, they would have never gotten back up. And these, these three happened to make it, but there's countless examples of those that wandered off and didn't make it. I picked these because it's kind of lighthearted and they became kind of celebrities. They really did. People were taking pictures with them and whatever. They were in the news. But many, many of them that didn't make the news they're, it's because they died in that wasteland as they wandered away from the shepherd. The other reason that sheep need to be restored and why it's important that they're restored is because sheep become sickly and weak. They need to be nursed back to health. They need medical care. They need attention. Sheep can't get that if they're apart from the shepherd for too long. It's the shepherd that looks at them and sees if they have parasites or see if they have a skin disease or see if they're in need of some treatment or some shots or some special attention. You know, if you wander away from the shepherd, he's not able to provide that in the same way that he does when you're in close proximity to him. Now, does God want to provide for all of those needs? The answer is yes. Yes. Does he force those provisions on you? No. As you wander away from him, the provision is where, he, where, he, where he's at because he led you to a place where that provision was there. So when you wander away from him, you're wandering away from his provision in that sense too. The other thing is that the reason that sheep need to be restored is because sheep fall. And when sheep fall down, they need to be helped back up on their feet. They call us being a cast sheep or a cast down sheep. They cannot right themselves, though. It's an old English shepherd's term for a sheep that has turned over on its back and cannot right itself. One shepherd, it looks like this. And one shepherd describes it as this. A cast sheep is a very pathetic sight, lying on its back, its feet in the air. It flays away frantically, struggling to stand up without success. If the owner does not arrive on the scene within a reasonably short time, the sheep will die. Now picture yourself. Can you relate to this? Where you've wandered away from the shepherd, you've strayed away from the shepherd, you need to be restored to the shepherd? As you look back at it, wasn't it kind of pathetic? Didn't it kind of seem like you were just wallowing, flopping around on your back like a seal, your legs in the air just kicking around, not getting anywhere, can't even get back on your own feet, absolutely helpless. You started off as you trekked away from, as you marched away from the shepherd, those first few steps, they had such confidence, didn't they? Oh, I know what I'm doing. I got the world by the tail. I got this figured out. I can do this on my own. Those steps didn't feel that way as you got further and further away, though. All of a sudden, some of that confidence was gone. All of a sudden... You're just flailing around in the world apart from the shepherd. Eventually, if you're in close proximity to the shepherd, which I hope you all are and being here this morning wanting to be fed from God's word, all of a sudden, now you see just how hopeless that was. The one thing that should be noted, though, is that good shepherds diligently watch for the sheep that need restoration. That's a fixed fact. God is watching for that and he's willing and ready to do the restoring. But you know who else is carefully watching for sheep that need restoration? The sheep's enemies. The sheep's enemies are looking for every opportunity for the sheep to walk away from the safety of the shepherd. The easiest place to attack a sheep is not when he's in the sheepfold. Not when he's in proximity to the protector of the shepherd. The easiest place to attack the sheep is when the sheep has wandered from the shepherd. This is why Peter says, "This be sober, be vigilant, because what your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he he may devour." Which sheep ended up getting taken by predators? The ones that are close to the shepherd, the ones that wander off. It, it just makes sense. So you're thinking about this practical restoration that's needed on a regular basis. The question might become, what causes believers to stray, become unhealthy or fall down? Well, there's lots of answers to this, but the ones that come to my mind are distraction. Number one thing is distraction. You were in a safe space and then some kind of a bauble floats by. It's bright. It's shiny. (laughs) Was that good? Catches your eye. (sighs) right now it's shiny and it's bright and it's flashy but it's fake and phony and it absolutely cannot satisfy how do we know that been there (laughs) been there that's how you know that it's not real it won't satisfy your soul but you get distracted and it's packaged in so many different ways. We, we, we could never talk on it and for the Sunday school teachers to, to not all quit. There's so many different ways that the believer can get distracted from just experiencing and living life with the shepherd, from the intimacy with the shepherd. But that's, that's one way and it's a really real way and it's a, and it's a very dangerous way. Another one is they stray through improper nourishment. They're not they don't have the right mind about them because they haven't been getting the right nourishment. If you don't nourish yourself with God's truth, you're gonna fall for anything. You're gonna be susceptible to anything. Any lie that's put in front of you. Another one is loss of perspective. You just start to see other things as more important than the thing you ought to see as most important. Sometimes it's failure due to sin. Sin that's the result of your sin nature influencing your thinking. Sometimes sin that's a result of external influence of sin through the world, a satanic attack around you. But sometimes it's failure. It's failure due to sin that causes a believer to stray to fall down or to become unhealthy. And obviously you can all relate. If you're saying you can't, get out. No, no, I'm teasing. Everybody can relate to that. And has it happened? Of course it's happened to you. Have you left your first love behind? Like he's talked about as you know, something that is a, a feedback that's given in Re- Revelation to one of the churches. Have you left your first love behind? Are you needing to be renewed, revitalized, and revived? Well, periodically, yes. You do need that. So, you're thinking about what is the remedy? If you're in a place where you need restoration, what's the remedy? And I I was thinking about this. Practical estrangement from God. how How would I illustrate this? Practical estrangement from God is like experiencing a spiritual heart attack. You're still alive Let's just assume you're still alive. You need what? You need CPR. You need a shock from a defibrillator. I can't even say defibrillator. Say that five times. Defibrillator, defibrillator. You need a shot of adrenaline. You know, you see, you ever see a movie or whatever, we're losing him, he's and giving up, push so many cc's, right? You need a shot of adrenaline to your heart to get that heart beating properly again. That's that's what's the equivalent of being estranged from God, is that you need that restoration, you need that reviving. You need to be brought back to life. You need to have fresh life breathed into you. The equivalent of being rescued from a heart attack. Now, how how does God restore the one that is estranged from him? Well, he does it through the same way that he leads. He does it through his word. And here's a verse about that. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. Now, I know your translation has converting the soul. But the word means restoring the soul. I think it's NAS, NASB has restoring. Yours might have a little star that says restoring the soul. The word of God is what can restore your soul. Many translations, I would say most translations of that verse have reviving the soul. Bringing you back to life. Speaking fresh life into your life through the word of God. That's how you can have that restoration practically that you're needing. That's how God can revive you. How about through his spirit? The Holy Spirit is at work wanting to revive the one that has strayed or distanced themselves from God. Titus 3.5 says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, speaking of our salvation, but it's according to his mercy, tender, loving kindness and compassion that God has for us. He saved us. Saved us from what? The hell we deserve to a heaven we don't. How did he do it? Through the washing of regeneration. Regeneration is to bring back to life. And the renewing of the Holy Spirit. This renewal takes place, this restoration takes place in part through the ministry of the Holy Spirit inside of you, working inside of you, to bring you and conform you and transform you into the image of Jesus Christ. But also through human influences, the same, the same three things we talked about with God leading. Through human influences. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, there's our word, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, also considering yourself. There's no place for pride in coming alongside of anybody. You who are spiritual, I would say, this is almost synonymous with equal sign, humble. (laughs) Okay, that doesn't leave many for restoration then. If that's, if that's going to be the criteria, uh, then we all ought to take pause to think about is pride getting in the way? But restore, this idea of reviving, bringing, bringing some life back, adding some life, some renewal, bringing somebody back to a place that they were. It's about coming alongside and assisting them in that process. The objective of restoration, though, is this renewed present fellowship With God, And the question is, why is restoration critical? Why do I need to be restored periodically in a practical way in my life? Well, it's because apart from present fellowship with God, there is no life. There's no life lived apart from him. And David, he realizes that principle better than most. If you read what David has to say in Psalm 51, if we had more time, we would go to that, but we're not going to. He's talking about, well, the, t- the caption for the psalm talks about that this was written after the sin with Bathsheba. It involved a number of significant failures on David's part. The adultery being one of them, but the equivalent of murder being another one of them. As he went about intentionally causing the death of Bathsheba's husband, so pretty big, pretty big failures, right? Is, is there any failure that you've had that is unique to the pages of Scripture? No. Be careful. Any man is capable of anything in the catalog of sin, but restoration is available for all. And David, that's a whole psalm. You should read it about restoration. But here's one of the verses where he actually uses the word, the same word, he says, restore to me. Now, restore what to me, though? The joy of your salvation. And uphold me by your generous spirit. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Revive me. Bring that joy with you back into my thinking and into my life. But note this as you read Psalm 51, he he says to God a number of different things. Teach me, search me, restore uphold. All of the action is being done though by God. It's God that's going to do the restoring and it's God that's going to do the upholding. And that's such a great way to end our message here this morning because you were just have this reminder that this restoration is what God wants to provide. He restores me or my soul. He restores me. I don't need to restore myself. I don't need to revive myself. I don't need to breathe new life into myself. I don't need to give my own heart a shot of adrenaline. God wants to do that for me if I will just allow that to happen. If I will avail myself or appropriate by faith that restoration that God periodically wants to provide me in my life. That's the idea. See, God wants to restore and revive you when needed. Will you recognize when you need fresh spiritual life breathed into you? Will you recognize that? Pray about that. Lord, search me and know me and reveal to me any wickedness that's in me. But go beyond that. Reveal thinking that has caused me to be living life apart from you. Help me to see that I need a shot of adrenaline to my heart. I need to be restored and revived. And will you allow God to jumpstart your heart through his word, his spirit, and the people that he's put in your life? Now I'll tell you this, the alternative is bleak. If you will not avail yourself of the restoration that God periodically wants you to have in your life, it's the spiritual equivalent of being a cast sheep flopping around on your back, flailing your legs, with no hope for rescuing yourself or righting yourself. Vulnerable and helpless and in a death-like experience lived apart from Him. That's the alternative. So, in my own life and in your lives, I pray that you would allow the Lord to restore you and restore in you the joy of His salvation. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your Son. Thank you for this time we could spend together in your word. Thank you that you're such a big God who loves us so desperately. Pray that we would not distance ourselves from you, stray from you, run away from you, think we know better than you, but that we would draw nearer to you, that we would see that you're the one who can provide a quality of life that's worth living. Pray that we would seek to be restored when we get in a place where we've strayed from you. Pray that if there's anyone who is here who had never been restored positionally, that they would put their trust exclusively in the finished work work of your son, the death, burial, and resurrection on their behalf. In Jesus' name, amen.